What exactly is a false claim for purposes of federal contracting and if the government goes after a contractor? The Supreme Court recently decided not to weigh in on a split lower court decision regarding standards for what exactly makes a false statement. Here to explain what happened and what it means for federal contractors, McGuire Woods law firm partner Michael Podbureski. Mr. Podbureski, good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Now, you have found that the or you're interpreting a Supreme Court ruling, which I guess they decided not to take on a case where three different lower courts had slightly differing views of what constitutes a false claim. Tell us briefly about those three and the differences between them. That's correct. In late February, the Supreme Court declined to address a circuit split regarding the standard for establishing that a statement material to a claim for payment is false as that term is defined in the False Claims Act. The appeals were from two decisions, one in the Third Circuit and one in the Ninth Circuit, and both of those were also closely related to a third decision from the Eleventh Circuit. The Eleventh Circuit decision, uh, United States versus Care, involved claims for hospice care. The false statement at issue there were certifications that patients were terminally ill and therefore eligible for hospice care. The Eleventh Circuit ruled that for a statement to be false, there needs to be an objective falsity and a mere difference of opinion is not sufficient to establish the falsity element required to prove a false claim. The Third Circuit in another hospice case, the United States X-Rail Druding v. Care Alternatives, ruled the exact opposite, that the False Claims Act does not require evidence of an objective false statement, and physician opinions, like any other opinion, can be false, can be fraudulent, and there's no need to prove an objective false statement. The Ninth Circuit in a case involving hospital admissions, ruled it tried to split the difference between the two opinions. It it also ruled that there was no need to prove an objective false statement, but it said that the 11th Circuit opinion was really unique to the facts and circumstances of hospice where it's an inherently speculative certification. You're trying to determine if someone is terminally ill as defined by the Medicare regulations, that means someone is likely to die within the next six months. The Supreme Court in late February denied petitions for certiorari in the Third and Ninth Circuit decisions. Got it. So therefore, what? In some cases, a court said that a statement that could later be found to be not true, even though it might have been thought of as true at the time they declared those patients terminal and they lived five more years or something, They were wrong, but they felt that they were right at the time. And so what should contractors do now that there are these conflicting lower court rulings? They need to be vigilant because depending on what jurisdiction you're in, you could have a varying standard for assessing certification decisions. And and though these three cases all involve physician certifications in the healthcare context, there are certifications in all types of government contracting, certifications that certain services or repairs were required, certification that the services or repairs or maintenance was done according to spec or industry standards. So it's critical that those certifications are completed in a diligent, thoughtful manner in an environment that is free from inappropriate influences. And companies should ensure they have a robust compliance function. And part of that compliance function is 
auditing the certification process to make sure the certifications are supported by data in the records and are completed in an appropriate manner. If a certifying official is certifying 100 claims or 50 medical records in a half hour, that should appear like rubber stamping, and that that should cause concern. On the other hand, if the certifying official is paid per certification or has some other sort of inappropriate incentive scheme in place, that also may call into question the validity of the certification itself. Well, we'll leave the rubber stamping to the tort bar. We're speaking with attorney Michael Podpareski. He is a partner at McGuire Woods. And what about in the areas where professional services might be contracting? And there is a statement that something will take a certain amount of time, but it ends up to take much longer. Or in the case of cybersecurity, that a company certifies that their systems are safe to hold government data, they are later breached. It was made in good faith, those types of certifications, but they turn out to be either undone or mistakenly certified. But that puts you in a false claim situation anyway? Well, the false claims has has four elements, and one of the elements is a false statement. But another element is that this is a knowledge requirement, or what's called the Sienta requirement, that the individual who made the false statement had to make it with knowledge that the statement was false. And in the False Claims Act context, reckless disregard for the truth or deliberate ignorance of the truth, sort of the ostrich with his head in the sand, that's sufficient evidence of knowledge to satisfy the elements for a False Claims Act claim. But to the extent that a a speculative certification ended up being proven not true, that in and of itself is not sufficient to make out a False Claims Act claim. There's the relief out that it has to be done with the requisite knowledge. And what the split lower court decisions showed, though, is that Anything can happen depending on the jurisdiction, even though you're dealing with, in this case, I'm presuming the same agency, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And so that's where compliance would come in. There must be some way of couching these things in the certification such that you've got a way out if it turns out that different circumstances end up ensuing. Yes, and and let's take the hospice context. Just because, as an example, just because someone lives longer than six months doesn't mean the certification was false, right? Many certifications are inherently speculative, or it's individuals making considered professional judgment with the best information they had at the time. That ought to be protected, and and certifying officials should be confident in those decisions so long as they are making reasoned judgments for for, for the right reasons, if you will. And the materiality and the knowledge elements of the False Claims Act will serve to protect officials who are acting in good faith. That said, there is a varying standard, and and at least in the 11th Circuit, particularly in the hospice context, there may be a requirement to approve an objective falsity, which is a higher threshold for plaintiffs, whether the government or a whistleblower, to overcome. Yes, because in other medical settings, there are obvious you know, fraud claims from time to time. Someone says they're incapacitated and can't walk, and someone sees them out in the parking lot pulling off the neck brace and reaching for the golf clubs and hopping around. You know, This kind of thing happens in disability claims. That's a totally different situation. That's correct. Even in the 11th Circuit, that would clearly be an objective falsehood. If someone says they can't walk and then there's video evidence of them running a, a marathon, 
that's an objective well, false statement and will still be actionable. Bottom line then, advice is to just be vigilant and make sure your compliance people check with the way you state certifications. That's exactly right. The government takes certifications very seriously. It relies on those certifications when making a determination whether to pay an invoice. And it expects that the certifying officials are exercising reasoned good faith judgment. That doesn't mean it expects them to be perfect and always 100% correct, but it expects the process to be a valid defensible one. So no matter what circuit or jurisdiction a company is in, they ought to have a robust compliance program that focuses particular attention on certifications and the process they were created. The government does not view certifications the way you and I might view signing a credit card receipt after we buy our lunch at the office. They view those certifications very seriously and they rely on them and they expect the company making those certifications to invest appropriate time and good faith effort in them. Attorney Michael Podbereski is a partner at McGuire Woods. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks again for having me. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.